Welcome to another edition of Inside the War Room. Ryan Ray here, as always. And, you know, I knew I had a special guest coming on today, but I didn't realize how special you were until you logged on and you have your Blackhawks swag on. I had no <laughs> idea. Yes, I, I am a big Blackhawks fan, and uh, I feel like even though they didn't make the Stanley Cup playoffs this year, it just shows my loyalty that I continued to rep them throughout the playoffs. I, I would have worn my shirt if I'd have known. I feel kind of I feel kind of bad now. Um, I almost look like I have a, a lightning shirt on, but it's not the case. That's not the case. Um, That's yeah. good because I'd have to go if you were wearing a lightning <laughs> shirt. Sorry, I can't we can't have that. Well, I don't blame you. Actually, I don't. I don't it's I don't even mind. If, if it were a Preds shirt, we would have had a really big problem. So. A Preds shirt. I'm and, just saying. Uh, yeah. So my dad is a Blues fan. And so there Ooh. may or may not be a video of me sitting behind the Blues bench last year when they were playing the Stars in Dallas. Um, I had a blue shirt on. It was not a Blues shirt on, though. So, uh, <laughs> so anyways. Well, listen, thank you so much for coming on. And let's kind of unpack what happened here because this is a, a fun story. Um, you went on uh, Dana Lausch's show, right? And someone got mad. And like, how dare you talk to people? You communist. I'm not going to buy your book. And I was like, I'd already planned on buying your book and trying to figure out how to invite you on the show. And I was like, well, shoot or shoot. And so, of course, the book is, I got right here, uh, The War on Small Business. It's a fantastic read. I've been listening to it as well. I got the, the audio version. And so that's how we got connected. But let's talk about that real quick. What is wrong with people talking in 2021? Yeah, so I had two different sets of people get mad and throw a hissy fit. And I like you. I like your book. I don't like the person you're talking to. <laughs> Therefore, I'm not buying your book anymore, which, of course, um, in the spirit of Dana, who, by the way, is fantastic, is a lovely, smart wonderful, brilliant person, a great friend, and somebody who takes an undue amount of crap. I channeled my best Dana and I said, oh, well, she likes to monetize her haters. So I'm going to do the same thing here and basically say, here's somebody who's being a brat uh, who wants to buy a, a book um, in their honor. And unfortunately, spite buying um, seems to, to work very well. <laughs> it's unfortunate people don't want to just participate on the merits. Um, yeah. But that happens. And it's unfortunate because the book is nonpartisan. And I've got people across the political spectrum who are coming together and, and starting to talk about principles, which is key because one of the things that the government's done a really good job in is making us all point fingers at each other and right. turning the attention away from the nefarious things that they're doing. So instead of us all coming together and saying, you need to stop doing X, Y, and Z, we're busy, you know, fighting out, uh, you know, oh, you're not on my team. You're not on my team. I mean, uh -huh. you think the hockey battles are bad. <laughs> uh, you know, this is some serious stuff. So, you know, unfortunately, there are some people and, and I've you know seen it today on a silly tweet, which was hilarious. I had a, a tweet about Gen X being the, the best generation because every time they trend, I just throw that out there and get lots of likes from it. Um, you know, so I had somebody else say, oh, I was going to buy your book. But since you said that, I'm not going to. And it's like, what's wrong with you? People? <laughs> like, seriously. And oh, by the way, I'm get pay getting paid my advanced anyway. So it doesn't matter. Like, you're matter. basically, you're losing out on the content. So right. it doesn't affect me at all. Well, let's talk about the book. So first off, <laughs> I bought a copy and an audible so I could listen while I was driving around this weekend. And I'm giving away five. That was the deal. I'm giving <gasps> away five copies. Love you. 
Yes. So I will link, I will uh, send a link to you. All you gotta do is just go on there, register with your name and email, but we'll draw five people. We'll get them shipped out to you uh, in the next few weeks. We'll get that done because that was a deal. Man of my word. And so I'm gonna do that. The book caught my attention though, because I am a small business owner. Um, not as small, maybe as some of the people you describe in the book and what we're talking about in a second, but I'm a small business owner and I actually had to sell my small business because of what happened during COVID last year. It was brutal. And so when you were, and I'm a free market libertarian. So, you know, I check all kinds of boxes to offend people. Everyone's going to be mad at you now. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> so when I read the war, when I saw the title a few weeks ago, the war on small business, like, okay, I got to get this. I got to pick it up. I got to read it. And going through, um, the book, one of the things you talk about nonpartisan, and this is what's really tough today is that. Um, and I try to emphasize this a lot, is that it's principles. We have to, and you said a minute ago, it's principles. We have to have principles. It doesn't matter if you like Trump or not. What is your immigration policy? Let's just stop and talk about that. What is your policy on shutting down the country? Uh, whatever. What is your, what's your principle? How do you think about that philosophically? And it's not as simple as saying, well, I don't like this, and then not think about all the downward consequences that you might see. And so the fact that you're talking those terms we need more of the big names talking about it than the little names like myself. So I'm glad to hear that. Um, when did you come to that realization? Have you always thought that way? Was it kind of a light bulb moment? What are your thoughts? So I fell into political discourse, tushy backwards. Um, I had no in like zero interest in politics, like none, none in politics and yeah. none in the news. Uh, when I, I'm a recovering investment banker, and when I decided that I was going to switch out and go into TV, which I really just wanted to be a game show host and still plan <laughs> to be a game show host, you know, I wanted to to get into television. That was one thing people were like, oh, you have such a great personality for television. I'm like, I don't know what that means. Um, and right. so I started out you know, in the small business and entrepreneurship realm and business commentary because you know, that was kind of the easy box for somebody to check. Mm -hmm. And a couple years in, um, we had the election that predated uh, 2012, which was Romney Obama. And Mitt Romney was a private equity guy, and they spent a lot of time talking about things like the bailouts. Mm -hmm. So like, oh, you're an investment banker. Like, you know what private equity means. Like, you know what all this stuff means. Let's throw you <laughs> onto CNN and talk about these things. And I'm like, uh, okay. Sure. So I completely had to get up to speed on what my um, political feelings were mm -hmm. because I didn't have any. Right. And so, you know, I'm kind of just that common sense person. Mm -hmm. Like I can't think outside of, you know, like this A, A plus B equals, you know, C, whatever. <laughs> so, you know, I've always been a principal person because I didn't belong to a party per se. Um, and I didn't really have a lot of like history or affiliation. I don't really like being on teams anyway. You know, I was the kid in high school who was like in all the different groups, right. <laughs> you know, kind of floated between them. So, yeah. So I just have always been like, well, here's what I think. And the more I got into it, you know, just the more obvious it was. And obviously our discourse has shifted with social media to the polar opposite. So now I, you know, with a handful of other people are like sitting and, and screaming, you know, into the void while everybody's playing their team game and going like, no, like both sides suck. Like, don't, don't you understand? <laughs> yes. Like yes. This, this is, this monster has been created by everybody. Like everybody's at fault. In fact, I did um, a series uh, that was called Booked and I did it on the big short, which was a breakdown mm -hmm. of the last, every time there's a crisis, like, 
Carol, there's a crisis. Could you write about it? Could you crisis comment tool. on it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so I remember with the last financial crisis, when I was, there's like a, a trailer and I'm just like, everyone's to blame. And of course, like that's the piece that like right. ends up ending the trailer. But it is one of those things that like, there's no nuance around this discussion. So, oh, well, my team this and orange man bad. And this right. is like, well, like, just take a step back. Like, what is it that you actually think? What is it that you believe? Is that, are those correct assumptions? And are you trying to uh, legislate morality and your good intentions to mm. bad outcomes. So that's sort of the approach that I take. And I, and I really do believe funny enough that the majority of the country is in that sort of center space, mm -hmm. but because the squeaky wheels get the oil and because the people who are independent, just, you know, we're independent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we don't want to gather around and, and do these things. Um, it gets, uh, it gets lost in, in the discussion. Yeah, it's funny to hear you say that. So talk about principles. Um, the principle that I applied last year was, hey, you're going to shut down the economy. That's equivalent to the Jurassic Park first movie where they go to shut down the master switch. And they say, what's going to happen? They say, we don't know. We've never done it before. And that's how I've equated this whole thing, which is we don't know what we're getting into here. You have the COVID issue, but the, the shutting down the economy, that's a whole separate deal that we that we actually have no idea what's going to happen. We know about people getting sick and they die and they recover. We know about all that, um, whether it's COVID or, or whatever. Shutting down the economy, we have no idea what that's going to look like. And the way that we shut it down, and your book does a good job of breaking this down, it doesn't, doesn't make sense. It doesn't fall along uh, lines that you can actually go, well, okay, I can understand how they did it. And for us at our business, the problem we had was we were deemed essential, but we were the only gas space. It didn't matter because everyone wasn't driving. So we were crushed <laughs> despite, right. even though we could work. And so right. it, was like the, it was like the worst of both worlds. Like I would rather <laughs> have been told to go home because then at least it makes sense, but it didn't. And so you, you, you go through last year. It's like, man, um, this is brutal. And it was brutal for a lot of people. And the messaging at the top, and this is a Republican or Democrat message. was very confusing. It's very conflicting. Um, right now on the right, it's popular to point about what happened on the left um, last year, changing messages. But the right had plenty of message changes as well. Um, at the end of the day, small business people were hurt. Average Joes were hurt. And it's 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 terrible. That's why everybody hates my book, because I'm just very straightforward about it. And both sides get through, thrown under the bus um, for the people on the right who want to argue about this. It was the Trump administration's brilliant idea to say 15 days to slow the spread. So even though they left it to mm -hmm. the states to enact it, they gave them the blueprint and they threw out there, oh, you might want to shut down bars and restaurants and gathering places and gyms and what. So like that, those seeds were planted by the Trump administration. Sorry, it's just the, the reality of the, the situation. Um, and then obviously I think the the failures on the left are, are pretty straightforward and everybody, you know, with the exception of people who are just gaslighting, generally agree on those, but both sides were to blame. And you know, the whole discussion about the lockdown is so frustrating. And one of the things I try to elucidate is like, we didn't have lockdowns. We had lockdowns for people who were not politically connected mm -hmm. um, or didn't have clout. But we were not all in this together. It's not like Amazon's warehouse shut down. It's not like uh, Walmart shut down. It's not like the weed dispensaries shut down, even though many of those had been illegal in various states several years ago. So now they're all of a sudden essential because in right. many cases the state runs those. Um, so it, you know that's the issue. And then 
if you say, well, we had to do something, we had to shut someone down. Okay, well, then you compensate the people for doing that. It's eminent domain. They're the injured the party. They're right. the injured party. Well, I mean, you subjugated their property rights. Yeah. So there's a thing called the Constitution, which some of us actually care about. And you cannot subjugate people's property rights for the quote unquote public good without due compensation. So if you had, that they had ponied up and said, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take consumer-facing small businesses. We know it's about a third of a half of the economy because the small businesses are about half the economy, 30.2 million of them before COVID. We're going to take the third or so that are impacted by this. We're going to spend about a trillion or a trillion and a half dollars. We're going to keep everyone on their payrolls. We're going to keep these businesses you know, in business. And we're going to buy ourselves two to three months so we could come up with a, a risk mitigation strategy to focus on the most vulnerable, make sure those people are taking care of it and let everybody else operate more safely, then it would be like, well, not the way I would have done it, but that's at least fair. What happened is we spent north of $6 trillion, not even a trillion of that over the course of 15 months went to small businesses. It went to like everybody else. And oh, by the way, on top of that, then you have the Federal Reserve coming in and transferring not only on top of the government's fiscal transfer of wealth from small business to, to Wall Street. You had the Fed uh, prop up the markets, continue to artificially suppress interest rates and do another level of wealth transfer in the trillions and trillions of dollars. Like We've never seen anything like this in history from Main Street to Wall Street. So we weren't in it together. Not everybody was locked down. The big guys not only didn't feel the pain, but it was the biggest consolidation of wealth and power in history. Mm. This is not the story that is being told in the media. And it frustrates me and I'm trying to educate everybody and I'm trying to give you the tools. If you're listening, you give you the tools so that you can understand every element of this and go out and, and stand with folks like Ryan and myself in telling and spreading this story. We have to because like all of our economic freedom hangs in the balance here. Yeah. And so let's talk about the solution and I'll talk about Shelly Luther in a second. Um, and, and I'll talk about the point about them hurting. You made a lot of good points there. Um, you know, my idea pre-shutdown was when they start talking about it, it's like, okay, hey, listen, take the people, you can pick a number, 55, 60, 65, whatever you want, subsidize them to stay at home for three months. Let's just see what happens and go from there. Because the data, this is something else that you know gets banned everywhere else. The data was abundantly clear back then who would be disproportionately impacted despite what was being told. But I, By the way, I'll back you up on that because, again, I spent the entire um, pandemic researching this. So it was known by the beginning of March. Yes, so yes. sim, subsidize it for them to stay at home for three months. Let the rest of us continue our business, pay their bills, let Uber Eats drop it off, whatever. I'm a libertarian. I'm not for government spending, but that's a fair compromise, I think. I thought some of your solutions, which are in the book, people need to pick up are, 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 are fair as well. Um, we're not soulless, <laughs> blood-sucking people <laughs> people to die, but there has to be some rationality to it. And it was at least, okay, let's take the most – and I would, and I would include like people on the cancer, uh, cancer chemo patients – heart transplant, you know, they're really, really sick. Let's put them, we'll subsidize them for a few months. It'd been a lot cheaper and we could have seen what would have happened and, and gone from there. By, we, by the way, we already subsidized them via social security, right? right? So like in terms of the additional subsidy that's required for that slice of the population, right. most of those folks aren't working and aren't changing their lifestyle anyway. So right. that particular, so just to wrap some numbers around this, like that's not a, 
um, very expensive solution, so to speak. What we shouldn't do is send them to the nursing home with COVID. No, no, that would be a bad outcome. Nobody should ever do that. Which, which again, to the point is, Cuomo didn't know if if you had a functioning brain, say this stuff in March, you would have you could have advised him, hey, that's a little bit outside of bounds. Um, but let me let me just say that. But again, this get this goes back to cronyism, and I talk about this in the book. There was an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal uh, by somebody who follows sort of New York health policy, and it was the idea of the big hospital administration that the specific entity's name is in the book that lobbied Cuomo to mm-hmm. get that done because they didn't want all of the deaths to be in their facilities. So again, this wasn't driven by data or common sense. This was a political decision that not only cost people their lives yep. in, a, in a completely ridiculous, I mean, like literally murdered them, but also because it wasn't reported appropriately, set the tone for everybody else's lockdowns that happened after because that was the early hot spot. So they said, oh, this is a widespread thing. Oh, you didn't tell us that was you sent all these people into a nursing home. Okay, we shouldn't do that. And, and so on so many levels, it was horrendous. It was deceitful. It affected all of us um, you know, to our detriment. And the fact that he wrote a book on leadership and got an Emmy and all these things just goes to show like what we're, what it is that we're trying to fight against right now. So the second point you made a minute ago, let's talk about, is Wall Street is making a killing while Main Street is hurting. I remember turning on like CNBC or whatever, and they'd be like, the stock market's green today, all-time highs, oh my goodness. And you're like, Everyone I know is like out of a job. What are you? What are you people doing? You are sick in the head. Don't report this. Report something else because this is not lifting anyone up to see stocks go through the roof. While you like, literally, one day they had it on there. I remember it was Jim Cramer who it was, and it's like unemployment hits all time high. And literally in the background, they have the green just going everywhere for all the stocks just crushing it. I'm like, guys, you really don't care about us, do you? Because you would you would just change the graphic in the background to reflect the somber tone of record unemployment. Yeah, I mean, this is part of the um, the issue, and and why this narrative um, is is difficult is because when you look at a measure like the stock market, which today in no way reflects the broader economy, it, it, it reflects a, a tiny microcosm of the overall economy. Um, it's a different situation. And it goes back to if you had locked everyone down and you had not let the Fed intervene at the levels that they they did, then everybody would have shared in the pain. Do you think if the stock market, because if, if you all remember, don't remember, it's in the book, um, took a dive at the end of February and then reached, you know, this is like horrendous lows in March until the Fed came in and did all of this intervention um, and, you know, kind of uh, committed to this, this longer term strategy. But if, if they, they had just let that sit mm-hmm. and the big companies had to share in the pain, how long do you think lockdowns would have lasted for? Not long at all. Not two, long week, at all. two weeks, no. maybe three, maybe. Uh, maybe. If that. Maybe. So that's part of the issue, too, is so it was like, well, these other guys are, are the cannon fodder. They're taking the fire for us. Right. So who cares? And then, you know, that's what the greed said is like, oh, well, we can, you know, not let this crisis go to waste and let's just see how much money we can funnel 
directly into the, the hands of the people who are wealthy. And again, I, listen, and I'm very fair about this. The stock market is important. It has our 401ks. It has people's pension plans. It's not just the wealthy, but disproportionately it transferred money from Main Street to Wall Street for people who couldn't earn a return on their savings, who are retirees who are counting on that fixed income, who now have to chase risk. And it just continued to accelerate the value that was was in, is inflating at our cost. And oh, by the way, all of that cheap money is now a, a point of competition that the companies can use to outcompete small businesses, and in some cases, to outcompete you for your own home, as we've found out in recent weeks. Well, and just on the stock market, one more thing you point in the book, and this has kind of gotten forgotten, that certain people had certain access to certain information that may have helped them make certain trades before all of this stuff happened. And it's it's funny how that gets forgotten in the media. And I say forgotten, I should probably bring up the, the, the air quotes here. It's funny how that gets forgotten in the media. Uh, I'm glad the, the book pointed that out. But let's talk about Shelley Luther because I think it's the it's the first case study I think you go into in the book, at least in, in depth. And so I'm in Granbury, Texas, which is about an hour and a half southeast of where Shelley's roughly at. She's in Dallas, I don't know. Um, so during this time period, you know, we're, we're having our, we have some friends in the nearby and we're always, we're still doing stuff, hanging out, but you know, our church is shut down all the churches shut down. Most of the restaurants shut down. And, and I remember being like, guys, you know, we, we got to go do something. If we don't, you know, the first amendment allows us, allows us to assemble. It doesn't allow us to assemble when they choose. Like that's actually the, the that's actually why it's there. So you can protest the things that you think they're doing wrong. Like should be keeping you in your house. Um, and I was applauded the bravery of her. And I was so dismayed at the judge who admonished her for trying to provide for her family. You talk about principles and you're locking someone in their home or, or you know, whatever it is, whatever you want to phrase it. And you admonish someone for trying to provide for your family. I don't care what you think about politics. Like that's deeply disturbing. And how she was lamb blasted on Twitter is like, God, what do you want her to do? She has to make a living. And this goes back to principles and understanding your rights and us holding on to and defending the concept that we have individual rights that are bestowed upon us by our creator. And it's the government's job to protect those rights, not to infringe on those rights. And when those things happen, we have to stand up. And you, I, I applaud, I, I use Shelly as a case study because she and a handful of others were some of the sole examples. And mm -hmm. it's frightening the number of people who just complied, who just said, okay, yeah, sure. I mean, it's, it's well, the government said I can't do this, so I'm not going to do this. Like, what? What do you, what do you mean you know, you're not going to do this because the government said, I mean, that's where we're at. Um, which does not bode well, obviously didn't bode well for small business and for consolidation of power and does not bode well for the next time they try this. And lo and behold, folks, this is not an anomaly. They just learned that everybody's willing to go along with whatever stupid rights infringing plans are out there. So whether it's them or, you know, God forbid, somebody outside of the country. I mean, we've just basically said, yeah, like we're not taking up arms against the government and, and going, this isn't happening um, in large swaths of the country. Obviously, there were some places that did, but uh, not enough, not enough. Well, and, and to your point about being uh, equal opportunity hater, 
I, I'm so thankful that you got you pinned Greg Abbott on this issue because he came out in Texas like, oh well, I didn't mean for it to mean that. It's like, well, you're the, the rules that you pinned actually said that they could do that. What did you think they were going to do? And so if you want to be charitable to Greg Abbott and say he didn't think about it, that's the reason he shouldn't have the power to begin with, because he didn't think about it. <laughs> like the, the judge yeah. only used the power that Abbott bestowed upon him. And yeah. so and then Abbott's like, I didn't mean for it. It's like, well, then you shouldn't be writing legislation. Yeah, they, they, they righted a wrong, but the wrong was egregious. I mean, again, the, one of the biggest, most high profile cases of a small business owner being thrown in jail for having the audacity to open their business, which they are allowed to do. There's no laws against this, by the way. This is just mandates, mm -hmm. uh, was in Texas. And so, again, I, like you said, I'm I'm here to chronicle what happened, not to paint a narrative. And this is a systemic issue. So we can say one party might have worse ideas than the other, or at least more honest about it, but the issues are systemic yes. and they're big. And just putting one right guy or gal in place or a couple isn't going to fix this problem. Right. And the other thing you do a good job in the book is, is pointing out um, you know, how it trickles down to the solopreneur, you know, the guy who's working from his house, three offices down, three houses down. And you're like, what does he do? It's like, well, he works for himself. I don't really know what he does. Well, you start shutting things down. You start deeming them non-essential, which is a terrible label to put on any human or for no matter what they do. Non-essential. I don't care uh, what your job is. To say you're non-essential is, is pretty, pretty damning for the government. Um, and then you start taking their income. Um, you, you, you do all this stuff. It, it's, 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 it was good to hear a voice talk about that because to your point, and you break down, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but you break down the percentage of these people, um, in how much they actually contribute to the larger economy in the U S and listen, it's not a small number. No. So to, for, for those who haven't seen the numbers yet, um, and again, these are pre COVID numbers, obviously we know things have shifted, but Pre-COVID, the economy was basically split in half from a GDP and employment side. On one side, you have 30.2 million small business owners. Of those, 6 million have employees. The rest of them are solopreneurs. They might have independent contractors they work with, whatnot, but that's kind of the breakdown. But they're decentralized. They disperse power. It's economic freedom for a broad range of people. And again, half of the economy. The other half of the pie is like 10 to 15,000 big businesses. And so basically anything you take away from this decentralized part goes to the central, powerful, uh, connected, cronied out the wazoo half right. of the economy. And so is, do you want to see more of that decentralization and freedom or do you want to take that away and have a handful of businesses that we're dealing with? Like, what does that do? To innovation? What does that do to wealth creation? What does that do to economic freedom? What does it do to our economy? I mean, anybody who, who has like a 101 level of economics thought can figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so you, you talk about um, my favorite subject, the Fed. <laughs> Thank you for pointing out that we can't audit them. Most people don't realize that, that we can't audit the Fed. Like it's this super classified, privately held, but government appointed officials. You come from that world. Let's dig into the Fed because you talk about this stuff and people don't realize this is what's so important to talk about. They think you're crazy. It's like, no, the Fed, if you understood the Fed and how it works, you would think, wait, in America? No, not in America. The Fed is, it's bizarre. 
Yeah, well, and, and, and not only that, they don't realize the amount of power and control and problems that we have in terms of our economic viability and future that's tied to their behavior. So I did try to make that chapter um, very easy to understand if you're not you yeah. know, a, a policy person, because I, I think it's important that everybody understands something that's intentionally opaque and non-transparent by design. And spend a lot of time because this is the, the crux, one of the big cruxes um, of the problem. And so you have this entity and you kind of alluded to it. So it's like kind of owned by 12 banks, reserve banks, but they don't get pro the profits. The profits, if there are any, go back to the treasury, but it gets its mandate, at least in terms of the board of governors uh, from Congress, but they don't really they have like authority to, to look into the meeting. <laughs> <laughs> they get a summary that they write up. Like the whole thing is like, what? Like and the loan banks money at lower interest. The banks charge you as well. So it's like, wait, 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 hold on. Well, which again, wouldn't be a problem if they didn't make the money up out of thin air. And that's the, that's the issue is that, that they're manipulating risk in the market. If you mm -hmm. think about risk as you know, the, the rate of return that you're going to get. And so that them messing with interest rates and artificially, suppressing them changes the risk equation, which changes behaviors in the market and has all kinds of negative consequences. And then they have at this point almost $8 trillion on their balance sheet, which again, isn't because they went out and they were productive and innovated and created all this value. They literally put typed in an entry. They didn't even print up like monopoly money. They just <laughs> type in an entry on the computer and go, okay, we've got this money. We're gonna go in the market. And we're going to buy up securities with like if, if like we did, I've seen other people say it's like if we did this, it would be called counterfeiting. This right. Exactly right. <laughs> right? Or, or fraud, mm -hmm. a Ponzi scheme, like whatever it is, like just cheating. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, this entity has the authority to do this with no limits on it. And that's the thing that's crazy. It's not even like, OK, well, you can have this much as a percentage of the money supplier of GDP or growth or whatever it is to maintain liquidity. It's just like you do whatever you want. And that's the problem. So just like to, to bring it down to your level, like I, I Carol, I don't know what, what you're talking about. Why does this matter? So think you are a saver. You are a retiree. You have money that you put in the bank that they're going to go take and lend out to somebody else at a higher rate. And for that, they give you so that they can borrow your money, the bank, gives you a, some sort of percentage return on your money market fund or your, your savings account. Mm -hmm. And as we know, in recent years, because of what the Fed has done, that's like negligible. You're getting like 0.25% right. if you're lucky. So then they turn around and they lend that, that money to corporations at a slightly higher than 0.25, you know, mm -hmm. but not very high rates, right. uh, historically low rates. And then those guys can go out and expand um, they can go out and, in the case of BlackRock, buy up housing and compete mm -hmm. with people who are out looking for a house. And so it, it, it gives it, it takes capital from you and it just get, basically gives it at almost no cost mm -hmm. to these already wealthy and connected entities so they can go out and, and earn a, a rate of return. And then if you're trying to find a rate of return, then you have to go into the market. And because all these companies, um, you know, are, the risk has been disrupted and all this, this money is chasing these companies and the multiples have expanded, you have to take on more risk 
in order to earn like a very small return. Um, and that is a wealth transfer. That is a wealth transfer from the everyday Americans, as well as the small businesses and whatnot, to these big companies and these big connected entities at the behest of their cronies at the Fed. That's something everybody should be concerned about because it's taking away wealth creation opportunities from the average American in the market, in homes, in small businesses, and it's consolidating more with a handful of already wealthy people. And as a free market capitalist, I believe in an abundance mentality. Everybody should be able to be wealthy if you so desire or pursue whatever, whatever other objectives you want, passion, freedom, whatnot. And they're killing that opportunity and they're killing wealth creation and economic freedom. Yeah. According to the last numbers, BlackRock, BlackRock purchased 80,000 homes. The Atlantic says, don't worry, it's not a big deal. For perspective, that would be a house for every person that lives in the county that I live in. If everyone had a house, that's a, that's a lot of houses. Now in New York, Chicago, Dallas, I get it. It's relative, but the people that they're probably buying from on some of those people are landlords who can't do it anymore because the government prevented them from evicting tenants who couldn't pay the bills when they prevented them from making a living. Right. And so this is the other thing is like the banks were too big to fail. We've bailed them out when they had these nefarious um, you know, things that they've done in the past in this particular case, they've now said, if you're a small landlord, well, you can't evict somebody if they're not paying it, but they haven't gone to the banks, as far as I know, I mean, Tom, Brian, tell me if I'm wrong here, but they haven't gone to the banks and say, you need to not charge, <laughs> you know, whatever it is that you're charging these small landlords. I've never seen, I haven't seen any property taxes okay. yeah. been waived by the government. Like I haven't seen anybody else take the hit. It's only the small business owner or the other landlords who are taking it. Yeah. So my understanding on this, and this is a regional thing, so state by state or local, I don't know how it works out, is that um, to get the mortgage extension or forbearance for the landlords, in some states, you have to have the tenant sign the form agreeing that they're not paying rent with the landlord. So you got to get the tenant to be on your side to get kind of the forbearance. Now, I don't know, in some states, I think it's a little bit easier, um, but it's not, it's not as simple as it is for the tenant or the person who is in their home paying, you know, have to pay a mortgage. And to your point, um, it's like, well, how are these big guys getting all this money? And oh, by the way, oh, by the way, talk about the Fed. My favorite Fed story is Carnival from last year. You know, Carnival was going to get uh, bought by, was it BlackRock was going to buy them? I can't remember who it was. Uh, we're going to get bought by BlackRock or sold to them. And the Fed comes in and is like, oh, I got to tell you what. Instead of going to the PE group, we'll just cut you a deal. <laughs> We'll cut you a deal. And then they still lay off like 2,500 employees three to six months later. Yeah. And by the way, they didn't have to like jump through a bunch of hoops no. and show paperwork and do all the things that the small businesses had to do. So again, it's it's different treatment of different entities based on how connected you were. And that's something that you know, none of us should want the government to be doing. Okay. So- where do we go from here? Because obviously there is a war on small business and it doesn't start with last year. If you go back and look over the past you know, decade, two decades, um, it's, it's been building up to this point. Um, and the ironic part was we were almost at the cusp of kind of tipping over the gig economy, stuff like that. People will be able to decide, you know what, I'm going to drive Uber. I'm going to do this. I'm going to try this. I'm going to do Fiverr. I don't know how much money people make doing that stuff, but they had the option we really read tipping point to where you had the most ways to make money uh, as humanly possible. And then we put the fear of God into people. 
right? If you don't work for an essential business, a big business, you might find yourself on the wrong end of this economic thing. Um, so do you think this will churn people to, to, to decentralize or do you think this will push people in towards, you know, the Amazons and the Apples and the Microsoft world? So I think it depends on the person. I think that they're conditioning people to think that there are no wealth creation opportunities for them because the government has made it more difficult for you to create wealth. And so the government will write you a stimulus check. The government will pay extended unemployment. The government will take care of you. The government will give you universal basic income next. So I'm concerned mm -hmm. that this is a trial run conditioning people to you know, buy into that mentality, not understand that this came from the government, not capitalism, which is what they will continue to blame it on. Um, and that we will get a bunch of people who push us into like full-fledged socialism. So I think that that is a risk um, for the people who are waking up to this and who are getting educated. I think it's pushing them towards more decentralization. You're obviously seeing that in the cryptocurrency market uh, is pushed back against the Federal Reserve and the banking system. You're seeing that with small business and the gig economy as a pushback against both the economy and traditional corporate work. And it just depends on how much willing how how willing people are to stand up and to say you know this this is the only way we get this done is by going decentralized and and breaking up this this power um concentration so i, I think there are different groups of people and um we know that the squeaky wheels get mm -hmm. oiled and we know that people who like freedom tend to, to like to be left alone but we got to start preserving our freedoms here. Yeah. yeah. Well, the other thing I'll say is, is the, the trend to watch, I think, is the war on emerging markets. Because we talk about everything that you said about small businesses. Emerging markets were impacted in all kinds of crazy ways that were that really hasn't been covered yet. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, when things go sideways in the U.S., it ends up impacting a large part of the world um, that that relies on us. And they kind of it's kind of like the the small businesses who depend on the bigger businesses, you know, having people in their offices so they can serve them coffee and and, you know, kind of outgrow the economy. The emerging markets are sort of the outgrowth of, of our strong economy. And yeah, I mean, whew, in terms of what happens with the world's economy, um, with us messing with our currency and devaluing our currency via the Fed. Um, central banks, obviously, in Europe also doing the same thing. You know, Japan was the one who started this. China not being able to be trusted because they're commies. You, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how all of this plays out. It's, it's a, like, there are a lot of outcomes, none of which, by the way, are good. Um, but um, yeah, I'd like to that that's like the multi-trillion dollar question here. Well, and whatever pressure we put on our own citizens, we put that on the emerging markets because they depend on these large banking, you know, the world bank IMF or whatever to, to get what they want to fund their projects. And so it's really even compounded there as well. So, okay. Thank you so much for hopping on in your time. Uh, I will send you the link for people can sign up for the free book giveaway. We've got, I said, I'll get uh, five of these bad boys out there to you if you want if you'd prefer an audible one and we can figure that out i'd be happy to get you audible the the audible listens fantastic as well um folks want to follow you on twitter i guess is where you're most active 
Yes. So Twitter is like my home. I don't know what the rest of the stuff is at Carol J S Roth. I tend to be there a lot and that's where you'll find all of my pearls of wisdom and uh, you know, related shenanigans as well. Well, as a small business person, thank you for the book and what you're doing because it, it does a good job of going after the left and the right as a free market person. I don't know how you can say you're a free market person and really not attack both sides on this issue. It is truly easy to find all kinds of problems with both sides of this one. So thank you so much. And thank you for coming on today. Well, thank you. Thanks for stepping up for the free book giveaway for a great conversation and for advocating for small business and question for you, like yeah. after this last year, as a, someone who's owned a small business, like, would you get back in the game? Would you own another small business at this point? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I started a separate one um, for my international stuff. And that was the hard part for me was um, going into 2020. Um, I had, I'm on the George H.W. Bush Foundation for U.S.-China Relations. And so we were working on some U.S.-China business deals. I have a lot of connections in Africa. So I was getting ready. To, I was meeting with the ambassador of Mali the night that Trump canceled travel to Europe. And I had like a 10 to 14 day West Africa business tour scheduled. And I'm like meeting with them. I'm like, oh, no. So all of my international stuff that I was working on, well, that's still, it's finally coming back, I think. But all the U.S. stuff got crushed, and that's why I ended up selling that business off. So, yes, I will Yes, I will continue to um, own my own business. I actually had a meeting last Friday about getting into some of the cattle business. I think there's some interesting opportunities there. Um, so, yeah, I'll do everything I can to work for myself as long as I can is, is, the, uh, is the short answer. So this is the power and the perseverance of the opportunity that comes with small business. Um, but you just got to know now that there's an additional set of risks that you need to calculate. And that comes directly from the U.S. government. Right. And so that's why the cattle business is interesting to me, because it all of my stuff is about meeting people, networking, connecting, doing stuff. Well, I'm trying to find, OK, what are businesses that don't necessarily require <laughs> that kind of skill set? Because last year I sat at home, I'm like. What do I do? I can't call nobody. I can't go nowhere. No one's talking. No one's taking meetings. This is crazy. So, uh, yes, it, it was definitely, it was, um, I talked about it before. I don't, I've never really struggled with depression, but during that time period was the first time in my life I ever understood why the people jumped out of the buildings uh, when the stock market crashed in 1929. Yeah. I never, I never understood that. And that was the first time I wasn't, I wasn't suicidal, but it was the first time I ever understood, wow, I can actually grasp because we, we thought we were going to lose. We didn't know we were in, we were really worried about how far our economic impact was going to be. Uh, we got lucky. We talked about the PPP loans. We got lucky to get out uh, unscathed. Um, and the PPP loans, we got. We didn't think we were going to get it. We got it. Without that, I, I didn't take any personal money, but the company, we used it to um, be able to pay off our taxes because we had taxes that we had to pay, right, from 2019. We had uh, debt that we had accrued to run the business. We had $500,000 worth of debt that was due, right? And it was, I walked around for like two weeks. And I felt like a ch an elephant was on my chest. I couldn't hardly <laughs> function. It, oh, it was it was brutal. It was brutal. And there's and the problem is there's nothing you can do. All went zero, <laughs> went negative. You know there is no work. Um, and so the reason I sold the business, that business, is because I thought, well, dang, I'm dependent <laughs> on them continuing to allow fossil fuels to prosper, um, which are important, and I think they will. But you know, I can't, I just, it's just too much risk. I can't accrue another $500,000 of debt in 2021 and then hope I can pay it off by the time the next, whatever. Yeah. Happens. So I just try to get into different business spaces to work for myself moving forward. 
All right. Well, this is the story of so many small business owners. So again, thanks for sharing your story and uh, thanks for having me and let me talk about everybody else's stories. Absolutely. It's fantastic. Folks, go pick up the book. We'll link to it in the show notes. Carol, thank you for coming on to the small, small guy, we, the little guy. We really do appreciate it. Yeah, no, my absolute pleasure.